Hello, this is Matt Crawford. We have a great topic today, a great guest today, but we had our first major audio hiccup. My audio track drops out about halfway through the conversation. You'll likely still hear my faint voice asking questions, and you'll still hear Sarah and Doug, but most importantly, you'll still hear the great info from our guest. There wasn't much we could do about it, so apologies for the glitch. Please enjoy the latest episode of the Big Blue Rock Pod, and as always, thanks for listening. You are listening to the Big Blue Rock Pod, produced by the Kentucky Geological Survey at the University of Kentucky. This podcast is a fun, conversational approach to discussing all things geology and earth processes. We talk emerging ideas and research, along with classic topics in earth science for all levels of interest. Let's do the show. Hello, welcome back to the Big Blue Rock Pod. I'm Matt Crawford, along with my co-hosts, Doug Curl and Sarah yeah. Arpin. What's up? What's hey, up? How's it going? Sarah's, Sarah's back. You're Sarah's back. I am Look back. Look out. I know. <laughs> I'm not ready. You're in a daze, but you're here. I, that's accurate. Is that good? Okay. Accurate, yeah. yes. Right. <laughs> a month in Montana and some caves, mm-hmm. fighting, uh, escaping fires, <laughs> collecting data, all yes, of that. Yes, all that good stuff. Right. Very dry out there this year. Very yeah. dry. Glad you're back. Um, today's topic is petroleum geology. But we always say we have these sort of big topics that we've had for a while and, and wanted to to talk about, and I'd, I'd say this this is one of them. Uh, petroleum geology is a traditional topic in geology. It's it's uh, it's very interesting, both the science and the applicability of petroleum geology. So we'll get into all that. Our guest for today's show is KGS researcher Dave Harris. Um, Dave has a BS in geology from William and Mary, and an MS in geology from Stony Brook University. He worked as an exploration geologist for Mogul and a sedimentologist for BP for nine years before coming to the survey. Uh, Dave has been at UK for 33 years, um, the last 17 as head of the energy and minerals section here at the survey. Dave is an expert in oil and gas geology, subsurface stratigraphy, and mapping, carbonate sedimentology, and diagenesis. Dave, welcome. Uh, it's great to have you. I think this is going to be a good conversation. I'll just say before, just before you give a, l- a little nutshell <laughs> of what you do, I, I I lump you in with with several people here at the survey. When I I first got a job job here and found out about the survey, actually of of one of the people that I wanted to I wanted to be that person. I was like, there's a group of people in, in the survey that were. We're doing research and outreach and, and giving talks and, and leading field trips. And I was like, I, you know, I had this office and a built in a real building. And, <laughs> and I was like, I, I want to, I want that. I want to be that so, person. Um, anyway. Well, thank you, Matt. It's yeah. great to be here and great to be with Sarah and Doug and talk about a few things that we've been doing over the years and uh, yeah, what the future holds. So, yeah. So give us a quick snapshot of, uh, of what you do. So I'm uh, the head of the energy and minerals section here at KGS. And that group uh, is about nine people who work on both energy related and mineral resource related uh, research uh, in the state of Kentucky. Uh, it includes coal, uh, oil, natural gas, 
as well as uh, what we used to call industrial minerals. Now it's more commonly referred to as critical minerals. We're looking more at uh, minerals that are in high demand for the uh, energy transition, for alternative energy uh, technology, uh, things we need for electronics, uh, wind turbines, uh, alternative energy uh, systems. So those elements, those mineral resources are in high demand and they're in scarce supply domestically. So we're looking for new areas where those could be produced and, and supplied uh, to the American market yeah. uh, rather than importing them from overseas. There's a, I don't know, I've, al I've always thought there's a nice range of research going on in, in the energy and minerals section and they're, they're, you're always sort of pivoting with the, you know, important, important topics of our time, I guess. Um, I've, I didn't, I forgot to mention, um, you're also close to retirement. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> so Matt, once you're off. Can I have your office? He looks very excited. <laughs> <laughs> can, can I have your office? So looking uh, forward to that, but yeah. uh, it'll be bittersweet, I'm sure. Yeah, for sure. Um, and so, so because of that, you know, we wanted you on for sure. Um, and I think we've got a few questions sprinkled in here that we maybe normally don't ask all of our guests, but since you're, you know, um, close to retirement, I thought we'd, we'd do a few of those. And so the first couple, uh, before we get into sort of some of the science with, with petroleum geology, um, wh what sparked your interest in earth science and geology? Uh, and, and then after that, you know, what, what brought you to the survey? What made you want to work here? Well, it's, it's a, a, a subject I kind of got into uh, through the back door, as many geologists do. Yeah. Um, I started out uh, going to college and, and thinking uh, I was going to be uh, in some sort of scientific field. I was always interested in, in science and started out as a biology major and wasn't enjoying that too much. And I just happened to take a geology class uh, uh, just for the fun of it, really, and really fell in love with it and decided to go ahead and see what the, the job opportunities uh, were like. And this was in the late 70s and, you know, the oil and gas industry was hiring a lot of people and it looked like there were going to be good opportunities uh, in geology. And so I went ahead and decided to major in that and then went ahead and uh, went to graduate school, got a master's degree, which is sort of the entry level degree for a lot of uh, professional geologists. You really uh, should at some point try to get a master's degree at the minimum right. uh, if you want to to be a professional geologist. So that's really, uh, you know, I never planned on being a geologist, um, but uh, it, it was something I just kind of got hooked on in, in, as an undergraduate and uh, and ran with it. So I think I think that happens to a lot of yeah, us, right? I mean, that intro geology class similar, just hooks very. you. Yep. You can yep. only, biology, come on, you can only look at those <laughs> living things and dissections so long. It's, it's, it's the old dead things that are the coolest. Right, yeah, exactly. um, okay, yeah, that's awesome. Um, so let's start with some petroleum geology basics. What is petroleum and what are hydrocarbons and, and why do we differentiate those, those words? Well, uh, hydrocarbons is sort of a general broad term uh, that describes uh, uh, 
a lot of organic molecules, a lot of organic compounds that are composed uh, just of hydrogen and carbon, uh, as the name implies, obviously. Yep. So hydrocarbons, uh, uh, it's a, a vast uh, number of different compounds ranging from very simple molecules like methane, which is one, uh, you know, one carbon and four hydrogens, CH4, uh, through increasingly heavier uh, uh, hydrocarbon molecules, uh, ethane, pentane, butane, uh, you know, up to uh, very uh, large and, and complex chains of hydrogen and carbon that make up petroleum. And petroleum is what people think of as the liquid hydrocarbons. So these are the heavier molecules, have a higher boiling point. They, mm. they exist as liquids at standard you know, temperature and pressure, whereas a lot of the lighter molecules, uh, methane, butane, propane, uh, are gases at standard room temperature and, and pressure, but they will liquefy uh, at, at higher pressure or at, at colder temperatures. So these uh, organic molecules uh, can be burned. They will oxidize and will burn uh, and release a lot of energy. And so our primary use uh, is for energy, although yeah. we do use a lot of hydrocarbons for plastics, uh, uh, rubber, you know, synthetic compounds, uh, everything we make uh, out of uh, synthetic materials has probably got hydrocarbons in it. So, so pet petroleum, an in a blanket industry term that's only for the heavier liquid hydrocarbons? Right, petroleum yeah. uh, is, is used for the liquid hydrocarbons and natural gas uh, is, is the, uh, the methane, basically methane and the uh, natural gas liquids, uh, propane, yeah. ethane, butane. And, and we, can, we can further differentiate crude oil, natural gas, and all these other compounds right. you mentioned. Crude oil is what's produced from the rock from the reservoirs okay. uh, underground, and then that's distilled to uh, refine the crude oil into specific weights and quality of, of oil that we need, gasoline, diesel, uh, motor oil, you know, lubricating oils, things like that. Coal is a hydrocarbon as well. It's a solid hydrocarbon. It's got some other things in it, but it does have Primarily hydrogen and carbon. It's a, a solid. Okay. Yeah. The uh, other. It's the got other. Got a lot of uh, carbon from plant remains and whatnot. Okay. So uh, that's sort of at the the other end of the spectrum. Yeah. Yeah. The other the other things make it a sedimentary rock. Right. Yeah. Right. Cool. Yeah. Kind of interesting about your section too is, I think it was it called the coal. Or do we have oh. a do we have a separate coal section? We did. We did. Right. In the past. In yeah. The past, there's. Yeah. Uh, mm. There's been uh, uh, industrial mineral section in the past. There's been a coal section uh, when coal was a much bigger uh, product in Kentucky and, and a lot more research was going on on the availability of coal resources. Mapping coal seems uh, there was a, a dedicated coal section. Uh, at, at some point before I got to the survey, that had been merged into an energy section uh, had various names, petroleum and stratigraphy at one point, mm -hmm. uh, 
and but now it's generally uh, just referred to as energy and minerals. So yes, kind of the just a sign of the changing landscape, you know, mm -hmm. is, um, energy and minerals, but because we still have some coal geologists on our mm. staff who do yep. very active research. Mm -hmm. Right. Yep. Um, but anyway. So, so we, we've mentioned or these organic hydrocarbon compounds. Let's say just a little something more about origin. These are, um, these hydrocarbons originate from or marine organic matter. Most of the time, yeah. Most oil and gas is the result of either algal or uh, uh, zooplankton, small microscopic organisms. Diatoms. Uh, diatoms, mm -hmm. uh, things that are in the ocean that uh, are deposited in the, in the uh, typically fine-grained, shale-dominated uh, layers. Uh, and those become what we call source rocks, these organic-rich... Right. Uh, rocks contain anywhere from, uh, to be a good source rock, anywhere from 1% to maybe up to 10 or 12% uh, organic carbon. And that is uh, then buried uh, deeply underground and uh, by successive layers of sediment above and under heat and, and pressure is basically uh, turned into uh, hydrocarbons. The organic remains uh, become uh, carrageen and, uh, and then finally either natural gas or oil, depending on the particular uh, original material or the temperature and pressure profile that they've been subjected to, yeah. sort of determines the ultimate product that uh, is generated from the, from the rock. Just to, to linger there for a second, so you say buried underground. We're, are we really talking about sort of these restricted marine basins when these organic critters die, accumulate in this marine sediment? It's in a, a it's in a structural basin of some kind, and, and right, a that sedimentary basin. A sedimentary right. basin, and there's you know time continues to go, and you've got continued uh, sedimentation on on top of the organic stuff right. that decays decays those organic uh, marine organisms to ultimately be uh, turned into hydrocarbons. Exactly, okay. and that's a good point. Um, the organic matter has to be preserved. Uh, if, it, uh, if these uh, algae or, or, or critters die and and sit at the surface a long time, they will oxidize, they will decay, and uh, they will not be preserved as part of the sedimentary uh, record. So you have to have fairly rapid deposition mm -hmm. and reducing conditions. So that's what uh, we typically find good source rocks are fine-grained shales and not uh, sandstones or rocks that have a lot of uh, porosity and permeability because that allows the oxygen to decay the material before it can become uh, hydrocarbons. So mm -hmm. uh, rapid burial in a fine-grained rock in a rapidly subsiding basin is what generates uh, a, a good source rock. Does, does plant material ever produce a lot of hydrocarbons? Like, 
I guess algae is more real. Well, I guess algae. You you can uh, have plant material uh, in, even in a marine setting. You can have plant material brought in by rivers and uh, and that sort of thing. Uh, even in in you know a lot coal is generated from basically from peat right. uh, from swamps. So mainly a freshwater environment, but even that can generate a lot of methane. Mm -hmm. We have a a lot of methane that is produced from coal beds and that's the thing that gets uh, mines in trouble with explosions they have to be very careful about the amount of methane that's escaping from coal seams uh, when coal is mined so mm. you know methane is part of coal as well um, so you get not only the coal but uh, methane generated from that as well one thing that's always been hard for me to wrap my head around is the lithification process, I guess. I mean, mm -hmm. so we're talking about decaying organic matter in marine ocean sediments, restricted ocean basins, but you have to have, you know, ult ultimately to get to the oil and gas product stuff, there's millions of years of lithification, diagenesis sure. yeah. that, that turns these sediments into sedimentary rocks. And, uh, what kinds of things happen, you know, during lithification and, and diagenesis um, that can cha change, like you said, what's there, what kind of hydrocarbons are there? Sure, that's a, that's a complex process yeah. that involves, you know, changes in the organic matter, but also changes in the inorganic uh, mineral matter. Right. The, the clay mineralogy changes, uh, you know, you have various uh, clay minerals that are, are uh, recrystallized and, and changed as they're buried and, and, and heated up. Uh, you know, you can generate uh, excessive pressure that's actually enough to fracture the rock, and that's how a lot of the hydrocarbons escape from the source rock. These are fine-grained, low-porosity, low-permeability rocks, uh, and they will actually uh, if the, the organic matter is abundant enough uh, when it's generated, it will create enough internal pore pressure to actually uh, fracture the rock. And, it, and that allows the, the hydrocarbons to escape and migrate yep. into what we call reservoir rocks, which are the porous rocks, sandstones, limestones, uh, where the, the oil or natural gas can be trapped. Uh, say in a, in a structure like up against a fault or uh, in a stratigraphic pinch out, for instance, a whole variety of different ways that the generated hydrocarbons get trapped uh, and so they don't continue, they're buoyant, they're lighter than water. So without a trap, they will just continue to migrate upward um, through permeable pathways you know, to the surface and escape. So, so having that trap is another important part of the story. Hmm. Um, and, and the traps, the porosity, the permeability, fractures, those are characteristics of reservoir rocks. And source rocks are just the, origi the original sediment. Is that, is that how we differentiate source right. rocks versus reservoir, ro what's called reservoir rocks? Right. Okay. Yep. So usually when you're, I guess when you're looking for oil and gas, you're looking for these traps more than, sure, you're I guess you're looking for the whole thing, right? But it places that have uh, a, a, a place where 
uh, oil could be trapped and prevented from migrating further upward in, in, the, in the geologic section. So an anticline would be the classic sort of yeah. uh, structure where the rocks are, are folded and the oil or gas rises to the, the center of the anticline. Uh, a fault uh, can truncate a bed and seal off uh, one, uh, one part of a formation and prevent uh, oil from moving any further along that bed. So, you know, fault traps are quite common as well. Um, one of the terms that I think a couple, both of you maybe mentioned, Matt and Dave, um, was diagenesis. And I think maybe that that would be a good one to sort of discuss a little bit, like define sure. for people um, and then talk about how that relates. Can you? Yeah, diagenesis is a term we use to describe changes in the rock after it's deposited. Uh, it's primarily uh, used in sedimentary rocks to describe things like cementation, recrystallization, uh, even things like compaction uh, can be, uh, are all part of uh, diagenesis or diagenetic processes. T to clarify even further there, we're talking about ce mineral cementation in between grains. Right. So, so think of a, a coarse sandstone, right? What's the, the mineral matter in between grains that's holding the grains together? That, that can change uh, during, after, after deposition. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, so you, uh, the, based on the pore fluid chemistry, uh, you get elevated temperatures, elevated pressures, and you can start precipitating out uh, a whole range of different mineral phases, calcite, dolomite, uh, silica, uh, you know, quartz, uh, feldspar can be a, a type of cement. Mm. Uh, you can have clay minerals that are cements that are, are binding uh, grains together. So all of these uh, various changes uh, tend to reduce porosity, to fill in pore space mm. in rock, which for a petroleum geologist is usually a bad thing mm. because that's <laughs> reducing the amount of space where oil or natural gas can reside and, and get trapped. Okay. So uh, some of that is, is, is a bad thing, although it does help to lithify the rock and, right. uh, and hold it together. And I think you may mention this, but, but the migration of hydrocarbons, oil and gas, can happen because that's less dense than surrounding fluids. Sure, yeah, uh, especially uh, in subsurface sedimentary basins, uh, the pore fluids that are typically there are, are saline. Uh, there's been uh, dissolution and interactions with the rocks, and so a typical water or, or what we call brine is is salty and so it's even more dense and oil and gas will uh, will float on top of that and so in an oil reservoir you'll typically have uh, a gas cap at the very top and that's the lightest phase uh, if there's oil in the system you'll have an oil uh, layer and then water below it so uh, you know that you can have three different fluids uh, present in an oil oh. field stratified vertically based on their density. Wow, yeah, that's cool. And so as 
you know, petroleum geologists look for these look for these things. They look they look for hydrocarbons. They look for oil. They look for gas, and there's sophisticated exploration techniques, geophysical techniques, research approaches to discovering this stuff. We could we could do a whole yeah, sure. <laughs> episode <laughs> on like <laughs> exploration <laughs> geophysics, you know. But um, I don't know. May, maybe say something about how how geologists go about finding finding oil and gas well certainly the uh, what i've been describing is what we refer to as conventional reservoirs uh, and that has been sort of the the lifeblood of the, the oil and gas industry for decades where you look for uh, what we call a petroleum system and a petroleum system uh, is a combination of a uh, a good source rock has sufficient organic matter and has been buried uh, to a, an appropriate depth and temperature to generate oil or natural gas. And then a reservoir rock uh, that can hold the oil and gas. Uh, and then a, a, a seal, a rock above that reservoir, typically a shale, sometimes a uh, uh, a salt bed, an evaporite rock, uh, anhydrite or halite or some other impermeable uh, rock like that that keeps the rock, that keeps oil and gas from escaping upward. And then looking for a trap of some sort, uh, a, a fault uh, structure up against a fault, uh, anticline, yeah. uh, a stratigraphic pinch out, a whole variety of different ways uh, seismic <coughs> data, geophysics, is commonly used to image the rocks below the surface. We bounce sound waves off the rocks and look at the reflections right. to determine where those folds in, in are, uh, where those pinch-outs uh, might happen, uh, where there could be an unconformity, where the rocks have been truncated and uh, uh, you could have had a, a trap established to uh, to keep the oil in so unconformity kids I think we mm. talked about that in whatever episode <laughs> schist <laughs> geologists say episode I unconformity so, yeah, yeah. Yeah. go back and listen yeah. everybody we <laughs> define unconformity yeah. so that is uh, that's what we call a conventional uh, uh, oil and gas uh, reservoir and later we'll get into what we now call unconventional um, reservoirs too but mm. those have become uh, really important in the last you know 20 years or so um, and uh, quite uh, prolific in Kentucky as well yeah so. well that's good that's good segue let's let's bring it to, to Kentucky oh, I was just going to say I, one one thing that I always find really interesting about petroleum geology is is we're describing all these different geologic techniques and fields and you know there's geochemistry sedimentary geology structural geology you know if you want to do the whole gamut of geoscience that's why people go into yeah. petroleum geology because it's pretty they, interesting yeah and it's a, know, a nice overlap of disciplines yeah yeah sort of a yeah, little bit of everything you're exactly right all of those things are are provide a piece of the puzzle mm -hmm. uh, and all are necessary in order to, to figure this out to, to, uh, to try to understand you know, where the resources 
they are structural geology class is a bear but uh yeah right it matters yeah right it matters a lot <laughs> it in this. matters <laughs> yeah um yeah so let's bring it to kentucky um dave maybe to say something about um i don't know we don't have to get too long into this but a little bit of history of oil and gas exploration in kentucky Well, you know, a lot of people don't realize that, that Kentucky has a long history of oil and gas production. Uh, most of the wells that have been drilled are located either in eastern Kentucky or in western Kentucky. We don't have many wells in central Kentucky. Uh, there are some in south central Kentucky down near the Tennessee border, but in the bluegrass area here in Lexington and uh, Louisville area and northern Kentucky there really is no oil and gas production so uh, unless you're from eastern Kentucky or western Kentucky you may not realize uh, that there's a long history and it dates back to uh, the mid 1800s I think 1860s uh, was one of our first producing oil wells and that was an accident that was a well that was drilled uh, looking for salt water, actually. <coughs> uh, salt was actually more important uh, at that point in, uh, in history for preserving food and, and that sort of thing than oil. They didn't really have a purpose for any oil. There weren't internal combustion engines at that point. And, uh, um, I have on our fact sheet, first commercial well in Kentucky, McCreary County in 1818. 1818, wow. okay, yeah. it's even older than I thought. So yeah. I mean, that's... Probably um, one of the oldest in the world. It's so, be. yeah, it, it dates a way back. Uh, it really got started, obviously, in the early 1900s, you know, after the internal combustion engine, and we had a market for oil. Uh, and wells were drilled, uh, shallow wells, obviously, to start with, because technology was pretty basic at that point in time. But... Uh, Looking in, in South Central Kentucky and Western Kentucky are, are primarily uh, oil producing areas because of the geology. Um, Eastern Kentucky is primarily a natural gas producing area. Uh, there's a shale formation there uh, called the Devonian Black Shale or the Ohio Shale that is a prolific uh, gas reservoir. And yeah, it's uh, the source rock, it's the reservoir rock conducive. Right, and that's, um, you know, that formation has been produced uh, since the early part of the 1900s, uh, even before the, the big boom in unconventional, what we call shale gas. Uh, we were producing gas from organic rich black shale uh, for, for decades. So, uh, that's more common in eastern Kentucky. Western Kentucky, we produce a lot of oil from Mississippian age uh, limestones and sandstones um, uh, along uh, uh, fault zones and, and various other t types of uh, traps. Uh, so the, the New Albany Shale, the Chattanooga Shale, these Devonian shales, they're exposed to the surface just outside the bluegrass uh, knobs area. Um, you can see the black shales and road cuts and 
other outcrops. But the, the production from that, those same formations is well below the surface in the eastern Kentucky coal field and the western Kentucky coal field, right? So that, that's because of the regional dip of, of the rocks. Yeah, that's one of the, the, the cool things about Kentucky geology is that many of our uh, oil and gas reservoirs as well as our source rocks are exposed in outcrops. Uh, we have a, a producing basin in eastern Kentucky, the Appalachian Basin, and the western Kentucky sedimentary basin is called the Illinois Basin. And both of those uh, have rock layers that that rise up to the surface along the central, uh, the Cincinnati Arch. This uplifted arch uh, in central Kentucky has outcrops all around it of some of the same rocks that are buried more deeply uh, in other ends of the state and, uh, and produce either as a source rock or as a reservoir. This is uh, not an arch that you see at Red River Gorge. This is a a structural arch that you don't see with the naked eye. Right, right? a large this, fold. This is a large regional slight fold in the uh, rock in this part of the Yeah, yeah it's a very gentle fold that separates two down warped or subsiding areas that have a much thicker succession of, of sedimentary deposits than are present on the arch. What depths are we talking about with uh, oil and gas production with the black shales or any of the other source rocks? So typical depths um, for our oil reservoirs are uh, usually 2,000 feet or a little less. Uh, so most of our oil production is, is less than 2,000 feet. We have a few uh, oil wells that may reach down to 3,000, 3,500. Uh, shale wells are at a comparable depth. Uh, 2,000 to, to 3,000 feet. Uh, we have uh, isolated areas where we have production at, uh, at deeper depths. Our deepest well ever drilled in the state is a little bit over uh, 15,000 feet, 15,600, something in that range. Yes, what um, county do you know? I have it in front of me. Yeah, it's in Lawrence <laughs> County, right? <laughs> and that was uh, an interesting, uh, series of wells that was looking for a deep Cambrian shale formation called the Rogersville Shale. And we can talk about that in a bit if you like, but that kind of gets more into the unconventional reservoirs where yeah, let's talk about that. the source rock is actually the reservoir. So hmm. as I mentioned, a lot of the hydrocarbons <coughs> escape out of the source rock and migrate out into other rocks and get trapped, but uh, a large percentage of the hydrocarbons actually stay in that source rock. So they're generated in the shale and they actually stay in the, the very fine uh, micro porosity in the shale rock itself. And the problem with that is there's very, very little permeability. So the, the, the pore space is really, really small. Uh, the hydrocarbons will not flow through the pore space uh, on their own. It's basically trapped in the shale uh, naturally uh, by the low permeability. So to produce that, uh, those hydrocarbons, you have to, uh, to treat the formation or, or what we call stimulate the formation. 
And there's a variety of ways of doing that, but that's where the whole uh, technique of hydraulic fracturing was developed in order to produce hydrocarbons from those types of low permeability rocks you have to create artificial fractures and there's a number of ways of doing that uh, the earliest wells were actually uh, sh what we call shot with nitroglycerin with explosives those uh, explosives were loaded into the well and then detonated to create an explosion down in the shale formation at the bottom of the well. And that generated uh, uh, basically a radius of fractures around the well. Uh, and that was somewhat effective, but you know, not as effective as later techniques that involved injecting fluids under high pressure into the rock. And uh, creating fractures just from the, the pressure of the fluid moving into the rock. The general idea here is you're creating fractures, which are cracks in the rock, more void space, extra porosity for these hydrocarbons to migrate and get them out of the ground. Right. It, it generates permeable pathways and connects the pore space and allows the hydrocarbons to flow to the well bore and then up to the surface. So uh, over the years, I mean, this started way back in the uh, 30s and 40s probably. Um, I don't know what the oldest, you know, well that was shot. It may even be older than that. Uh, but then they uh, discovered that in the, probably in the, in the 1950s that hydraulic fracturing was quite effective pumping uh, water uh, into the well bore and uh, uh, adding some sand to act as a propent, uh, this, uh, injecting sand with the water to help keep those fractures open. So once you generate the cracks, you don't want them to close back up uh, when you release the pressure and start producing the well. So the sand gets injected into the, into the fractures as well it stays there and holds the fracture open uh, yeah. after the pressure is released. That's really interesting. I had no idea why they used sand. Yeah. <laughs> so there's a, a lot of water. There's a lot of sand. And in modern frac jobs, there's chemicals used too. And that's uh, to help with the, the uh, efficiency, the flow rate, the viscosity of the fluids. Uh, and those chemicals, uh, are a whole nother uh, uh, area of expertise that companies have, have developed to better produce the hydrocarbons, basically. And uh, the, the sort of the, the latest, well, not the latest, but another variation of fracturing was uh, developed where water wasn't the best choice, and that is using nitrogen, liquid nitrogen you can inject nitrogen as a gas uh, into a well under pressure and that avoids several problems. First of all, water can affect some shale formations uh, in a negative way. Uh, you can cause swelling of the clays, uh, cause damage, and actually seal off or close off the, the porosity in the shale because the clay minerals will swell up. So if you don't inject water, then you avoid that problem. And in Kentucky, 
our Devonian shales tend to be uh, low pressure or actually below hydrostatic pressure. And because of that, there's not enough uh, gas pressure uh, down in the reservoir to lift a column of water uh, out of the wellbore. So uh, that can actually uh, prevent the gas from coming up uh, as well if you have too much water loaded onto the formation. So by using nitrogen, or what we call nitrogen fracks, uh, you avoid uh, the whole uh, water problems, both with clays and with, uh, with the under-pressured uh, reservoirs as well. Interesting. And then I guess there's, there's risk with conventional drilling methods. There's risk with hydraulic fracturing methods. But generally, are these techniques at depths that are safe, I mean, there, there are depths thousands of feet below the surface and, and generally aren't, let me cut this out a generally aren't a problem with uh, threatening groundwater aquifers that are for domestic water supply, at least in Kentucky. Yeah, for the most part, I'd say that's a, a, a true statement. I mean, it's uh, hydraulic fracturing has become a very uh, hot topic in some areas. Uh, there have been, you know, relatively few cases reported where uh, hydraulic fracturing has uh, caused groundwater contamination and uh, uh, problems with drinking water uh, up shallow. A lot of those cases can be attributed to uh, actual failures of the well itself, uh, well integrity, where either the cement or the casing uh, that is used when a well is drilled uh, allows fluids to leak out from the, the deep zone where the hydraulic fracturing is taking place and enter into the shallow groundwater. So uh, I would say <coughs> in most areas, uh, there's not been a lot of problems reported. There have been isolated cases uh, where that has been an issue. Um, uh, one uh, good thing about Kentucky is the majority of our fractured hydraulic fractures in Kentucky, because of the kind of shales we have, uh, involve liquid nitrogen, nitrogen fracks. Uh, and you avoid the whole issue of chemicals in the frac fluids and, and that sort of thing. Uh, there's a little bit of... Uh, foam injected with the nitrogen to carry the sand down into the formation, uh, but that's basically a, a detergent, uh, but there's not a lot of chemicals used in the, in the nitrogen fracks. Um, yeah, so let's talk about um, KGSO and gas data services. We, we have all this expertise here at the survey and, and great res research going on with regards to well, and gas, um, you know, there's lots of, lots of stuff we can cover here. We'll take it where you will, Dave. We can talk about uh, relationship with uh, divisional and gas, our well database, uh, well samples, well locations, all, all, all the kinds of data we, we house here. Well, I think <coughs> KGS is a, is a key uh, resource for the oil and gas industry in the state. Uh, they really rely on KGS to, to provide a lot of the data they need to do their jobs. And um, 
you know, it, the oil and gas industry is, you know, heavily regulated. You do have to get a drilling permit to drill a well. There's a lot of regulations you have to uh, uh, adhere to. Uh, probably the, uh, the most important is when you decide to drill a well, uh, it has to be located a certain distance from other existing wells, and KGS is involved in that check uh, on well spacing. Carrie Pulliam uh, provides our permit reviews, checks to see if the, if the well location that's being proposed meets the minimum spacing requirements uh, required by the state regs uh, based on uh, our database. So we maintain an extensive database of oil and gas well locations, and she uses that database to compare the new location to all the previous wells that have been drilled, and is it uh, too close to an existing well, or uh, does it meet the requirements? So that's one of the fundamental uh, uh, tasks that we provide to our uh, Division of Oil and Gas in Frankfurt, uh, because we have the data in the database. We maintain the drilling records uh, of, uh, of all the, uh, the pre-existing wells. Is that a state mandate? Yeah, the, we're mandated to hold the paper records, um, but all of those paper records have been scanned. Most of the, the majority of those paper records have been scanned. In order to make them available online, you have to have the well data behind it. The well data comes from the Division of Oil and Gas through this permitting process, um, but and then and then yeah, the requirements to for them to have that data. They're the official repository for the well data, but we have to have it in order to serve the documents online. So all of that is searchable through our website. Yeah. So and Doug is yeah. responsible for building the. Uh, not only the database, but the interface, the public interface. And, uh, you know, I hear time and time again that, that we've got one of the best oil and gas databases in the country. And people compliment KGS on how easy it is to find data, to download data, uh, to get what they need to do their work. And uh, so just uh, kudos to Doug and his group here at KGS that, that maintain that data and provide the, uh, the means to, uh, to easily search it and, and download it and, uh, and bring it into their, their own personal computers to, uh, to decide you know, where to drill, uh, how deep to drill, based on the results that, that other people have, uh, have found. Because they can get at their fingertips yeah, anytime I mean, they want. Yeah. Um, so it's, yeah, it's really just built also on this legacy that we've built here of really good data stewardship of particularly oil and gas data for many years before I was here. Um, so yeah, it's, I don't know, it's, it's, it's a joy to work on that, but. Yeah. Um, when you say well data, what does that include? So the well, well data is um, everything from the, the operator name, the driller name, the obviously the location, that's super important need to know where the wells are. Um, there are some wells without, locate. these are usually older wells that we're trying to work out, but um, so location is the big, big thing. And then there's a bunch of other data that goes along with oil and gas well data. There's production data of that well. 
the documents are really important to the to researchers, to people looking for oil and gas, because they're the records that were taken down the well. So they're the geophysics, the logs, um, and all these are available. You can search on a location and find a well or whatever ancillary data goes with the what we call the metadata about that well, and then you can get the records. Can you search on the production for every well we have? I don't think we have a way to search production because that's kind of complicated, but you can search like depth and, and then you can get the production records. Um, you can download the production you data. Can download uh, the production. There is a requirement that the operators uh, report their production, uh, oil and gas production, to the state, and we maintain, we, we basically uh, store and maintain that production data and provide it to the public uh, as, as one of our services. Is it like monthly production, total production, both? It's by month, monthly, by yeah. well, by month. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So uh, it, it's yeah. fairly detailed. Right. Um, a lot of data. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, the other thing we have are interpretations of what we call top, so the, the sort of stratigraphic information down the hole. Um, that's, that's definitely a value-added data set that, you know, our researchers have provided. Um, and that's also available online where we have, where we've done that work and that, that's been submitted. So these are interpretations of. Of, of, of the producing units? Yeah. yeah. I mean, uh, for a lot of them, I mean, not every well, but uh, for the wells that we have looked at in detail and, and recorded uh, formation picks on, uh, that data is available in the database. It's all free. It's all free. <laughs> the other thing that we have uh, a, a role in uh, that Carrie Pulliams uh, can can choose to do is to request well samples mm -hmm. when a well is permitted. So she has the option, and, and she'll look at nearby wells to see if we have a, a set of cuttings or the, the small chips of rock that are brought to the surface when a well is drilled. Uh, to see if we have that already in our library uh, at the at Earl, our Earth Analysis Research Library, and uh, if it's a, a well that's being drilled to a deeper depth, it's going to penetrate a formation that we don't have much information on in that area. She'll request request that the operator uh, submit uh, the well samples uh, during the drilling process, and. Uh, the operator will have to, to grab a sample every 10 feet or so, bag it up, label it, and bring it out to Earl where it's stored permanently uh, as part of our, our, our library. Um, we don't uh, have a requirement for core samples, the actual uh, cylindrical rock uh, material, but we do get a lot of cores donated from oil and gas wells. Uh, uh, that are stored out at Earl as well. So uh, that's another valuable resource that the industry takes advantage of uh, to help them uh, decide, you know, where to drill and, and, and where there might be additional resources. Um, for them, it's cheaper and quicker to do the cuttings as opposed to the core. Is that correct? Exactly. It, it is much more expensive to drill a, a a whole core, mm -hmm. a, a rock core, 
uh, they're going to get cuttings no matter what uh, because it, they have to drill up the rock to, and they are flushed out of the well by the drilling fluid. Uh, more commonly now that's air. A lot of the wells are drilled with what we call air rotary uh, drill rigs where compressed air is blown down into the, uh, into the well and through the bit and it blows the cuttings up out of the well. Uh, but in certain areas, uh, mud rotary uh, rigs are used where drilling uh, liquid, uh, either water or some sort of a mud system is used to flush the cuttings out of the, out of the well bore mm -hmm. uh, during drilling. Is that where the term mud logger mm -hmm. comes? And they're, they're, those mud loggers kind of document that? Sarah's a mud logger. I was a mud logger. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I worked the night shift, so I worked from 6 p.m. to 6 a.m. Yeah. yeah, looking at cuttings, yeah. washing cuttings. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you It's a good experience. Wash the mud off. <laughs> well, we get them unwashed, so. That's interesting. Yeah, we yeah. have to wash yeah, ours. We, yeah, we get them unwashed. Yeah. Um, but they're very, they guarded those cuttings. Uh, that was in the Williston Basin of North Dakota, and they guarded those cuttings pretty closely. So mm -hmm. it's a much different system that we have here yeah, in Kentucky. Yeah, we can refire them and. Um, Dave, let's move it along. Let's say, say something quickly about some current KGS projects <laughs> that are related here that you all are working on. Well, it's interesting because, um, you know, Kentucky uh, still produces oil and natural gas, although our volumes, our production numbers have declined steadily uh, over the, the last, you know, 30 years really since I've been here. Uh, we had a little increase last year, uh, but overall the general trend in Kentucky and in other states as well is, you know, declining uh, production of oil and natural gas. Uh, but uh, we are looking at uh, other ways and other projects that utilize subsurface geology. Uh, certainly a big part of our research has been uh, carbon storage, carbon sequestration. This is the concept of pumping CO2 underground into porous and permeable rocks uh, to keep from releasing it into the atmosphere as a greenhouse gas. So carbon storage, while it's not being done currently, uh, commercially on a large scale in Kentucky, uh, it does have some promise uh, as a way to uh, mitigate carbon emissions uh, in the future. Um, we are looking at uh, ways of doing energy storage that involve subsurface rocks. Uh, some of these ideas include uh, compressed air energy storage where you uh, inject air into an underground formation that has a void space of some sort and uh, then you can release that pressure to drive a turbine and, uh, and generate electricity. So uh, there's various ways of, uh, of storing energy that involve uh, underground rocks. Um, we're also doing a lot of work to deal with the environmental consequences of the oil and gas industry. And one of those big pushes right now uh, is the legacy of uh, what we call orphan oil and gas wells. These are wells that were not properly plugged and uh, reclaimed. 
uh, after they completed their life as a producing oil well. Uh, the company basically walked away, uh, did not plug the well, and so now the landowner is left uh, with a, an open oil and gas well on their property. And they can be venting methane, they can be venting oil, uh, they can be discharging salt water, brine to the surface. So they do pose an environmental hazard in, uh, in many parts of Kentucky. And uh, we think we have about 14,000 wells uh, like that, that we know about, and probably several thousand more that we don't know about exact locations on. So yeah, it's, it's not a small problem. So there is a, a, a big push now to plug those, and there's been some new funding provided through the federal government uh, as part of the bipartisan infrastructure law that was passed uh, a couple of years ago uh, to, to plug these wells. And the state of Kentucky has gotten a large grant to do that, and KGS is involved in uh, measuring the amount of methane uh, that is being emitted from these wells before they're plugged so that we can document uh, how much methane we've prevented from being released into the atmosphere. So they want to have an idea of uh, the impact of the program on, on methane emissions. Methane is another strong greenhouse gas, just like carbon dioxide is. So. That's, a, that's a great project for the survey. It just It's what we do, right? It's, it's science, but it's applied science and exactly. useful science. Uh, mitigating, it's, it's all of the above. It's a super interesting project. Yeah, very, yeah. very interesting. So that program will be going on for several more years as they uh, get around to plugging. We can't plug all 14,000, but they're going to put a significant dent, hopefully, into that number. and get rid of the worst offenders for sure uh, as that moves forward. But um, yeah, I mean, there's a lot, of, uh, a lot of uses for the same skills that we had used as a, a petroleum geologist uh, can be used in a lot of new ways, either in terms of carbon storage, uh, energy storage, a uh, whole variety of applications of utilizing the, the subsurface uh, for uh, entirely different things than producing fossil fuels. So um, it'll be interesting to, uh, to see how this all, all evolves. Um, yeah, that's, that's awesome. Um, well, we're nearing the end here, Dave. Thank you so much for your generous yeah. time. Uh, these conversations are all great. Uh, because you are retiring, you, you sprinkled in a few more here. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy. <laughs> but just wanted to give you a chance to talk about some other things perhaps, um, like who, who do you hate here? A <laughs> <laughs> um, couple things. Um, what are some, what are some geographic areas that are most interesting to you uh, geologically? Like, what, as far as petroleum geology goes, what are the most interesting spots, either in the state or in the world, uh, for, for oil and gas exploration? Or any geology. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, that's, that's an interesting question. Certainly, you know, the, 
there's still a lot of, of interesting geology left to, to understand here in Kentucky for sure. Uh, we've got a tremendous amount of, of wells that we've never looked at, you know, so there's plenty, plenty to do uh, given uh, interest from the industry in, in maintaining a, a, an oil and gas industry and, and looking for new play ideas. I don't think we're, we're done yet uh, in terms of oil and gas in Kentucky. Uh, we've had some interesting plays, certainly the, uh, the deeper uh, play in the Rome Trough and the, the Rough Creek Graben. We have two uh, very old, very deep basins in uh, eastern Kentucky and western Kentucky. Uh, these are fault-bounded basins that do have, uh, at least in eastern Kentucky, organic-rich rocks in them. Uh, there were a few wells drilled. Uh, they were not economic uh, successes, but they were technical successes. And these are the wells that, it, that penetrated the Rogersville Shale uh, in Lawrence County, uh, Kentucky, some of the deeper wells that have ever been drilled in the state. So uh, that's an area that uh, while we haven't uh, gotten produced uh, commercial production yet, uh, it could have some uh, uh, possibilities down the road given new technology uh, and, and new opportunities, uh, higher oil and gas prices, for instance. Uh, so certainly those areas could uh, come into play in the future. Uh, other than that, you know, there's uh, certainly a lot of uh, possibilities for geothermal energy, and that's mm -hmm. something that we haven't done a lot of work on in Kentucky. But it's been an interest of mine, and it's probably not something I'll work on before I retire. But uh, it could be a direction that KGS takes. Uh, we don't have a, a, a lot of geothermal uh, conventional, what we think of uh, hot spots or, or high temperature rock in Kentucky. But they're looking at novel ways of developing what, what we call low temperature geothermal, where you have a a very low temperature gradient, but the rocks down at, in deeper horizons are still uh, 150, uh, 200 degrees Fahrenheit. Uh, not hot enough to generate steam, to generate electricity, but you could still use it for conventional heating and, and uh, 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 heat pumps perhaps uh, at, at the surface. So there are uh, ways that we could uh, perhaps develop geothermal energy in Kentucky. And I, I look forward to, to people working on that you know, down the road. Yeah, and, and sort of related to that, and you, you mentioned some of this stuff earlier, is like taking petroleum geology knowledge and skills and applying it to some, you know, another angle of, of it. Um, how do you feel about petroleum geology, oil and gas industry, um, relevancy in, in general and moving forward. I mean, there's new drilling techniques, um, um, but it's also a non-renewable resource. Um, it's harder to find. It's more costly to find. H how do we think about? That's a big question. But how do we think about that? Well, they'll. they'll you know, I think there will. There will obviously we're going to be reliant on fossil fuels for you know decades to come. I mean, oil and gas are not going to go away, uh, you know, by 2030 or 2035, and we're still going to be burning oil and 
natural gas, uh, you know, in the middle or, or later parts of the century. But we're going to have to do something about the carbon issue, and we can't keep, uh, you know, releasing the carbon. And so that opens up, uh, you know, an opportunity in carbon storage and sequestration. Uh, there's going to be a lot of potential and, and opportunities uh, if uh, restrictions are placed on carbon emissions, then we're going to have to use carbon capture and, and storage as uh, a way to get rid of the carbon emissions. And so there will be uh, opportunities for basic petroleum geology skills, uh, uh, looking at porosity and permeabilities and traps and uh, how do you inject uh, CO2 into the subsurface and make sure it's going to stay there. So uh, that is going to be a, a, a developing industry uh, for you know, the same basic skill sets, drilling wells, logging wells, and that sort of thing. Uh, and, uh, you know, we haven't really touched on critical minerals, but you know, some of those critical minerals are going to be in the subsurface and require uh, looking at subsurface brines for things like lithium and mm -hmm. uh, you know other uh, what we call uh, critical elements or critical enema, uh, uh, minerals necessary for batteries and, and uh, generating electricity and that sort of thing. We talked about having Dina on the podcast. Yeah, she'd be good. Yeah, I think that would that. be a good one. Yeah. So. Um, anything else from you all? <laughs> I can relate it back to caves if you're interested. Uh, please. <laughs> oh my goodness. <laughs> <laughs> I know, super old. <laughs> I missed last month, so I'm feeling squirrely. All right, so um, in Kentucky, we mostly have your carbonic acid caves where you've got rainwater falling through the atmosphere, picks up carbon dioxide gas um, in the atmosphere and in the soil. Um, and you have like that meteoric water and that top-down infiltration, whereas like out west, for example, in like Carlsbad, um, you have sulfuric acid, speleogenesis, caves formed um, from sulfuric acid related to hydrocarbon uh, deposits, and but really like isn't known here in Kentucky. Um, and so like recently, I have some colleagues that have found some petroleum seeps deep in some Kentucky caves and some caves in Indiana. Mm. Um, and so it sort of, um, this recent work sort of suggests that um, although even though they are still primarily these epigenetic carbonic acid caves in this area, that there's some influence, um, particularly in faulted areas and stuff where um, you probably have elevated dissolution because of sulfuric acid related to hydrocarbons. I know. Interesting. <laughs> <laughs> So there we go, related <laughs> back. <laughs> awesome. No, no, <laughs> not here in Kentucky. Well, now. <laughs> <laughs> I did mention it to Marty. Yeah. So, yeah. So, anyways. Dave, it's been a great conversation. Thank you very much. Yeah, well, thank you. Yeah, it's been great. a pleasure, yeah, and I've yeah. really enjoyed, you know, my career here at KGS. Oh. It's been a wonderful place to work, and. Mm -hmm. Uh, looking forward to the next chapter. Yeah. 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 Thanks, yeah. Thank you. Thanks. This podcast was produced by the Kentucky Geological Survey at the University of Kentucky. Special thanks to Rebecca Frazier for technical support. If you have ideas for the show, 
email mcrawford at uky.edu. Thanks for listening.